0: Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Always great to be here at Trinity and uh, great to see what God is doing. Um, And uh, so uh, happy to be able to share with you today. We're going to be looking, uh, finishing up your series here on wisdom. And uh, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, get there. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, But wisdom. And today we're going to be talking about learning from adversity. How many of you know that? as Americans, we don't really do well with the concept of suffering, right? We really don't do well with the, the, the idea of pain. Um, in fact, uh, I think there are, there are so many things uh, in our culture and in our lifestyle that we label as painful that really aren't painful at all. They're really what we call first world problems, right? If you've ever gone on a website uh, uh, and it takes longer than three seconds for the page to load, right? What do we say? That is painfully slow, painful, um, maybe you 're like me and you go uh, you go on Amazon right and you you 're searching for something that you want to buy and you, you, fi- you finally find it, you put it in your shopping cart, you go to checkout, and you realize that this item does not come with free two day amazon prime shipping it 's painful right when i um, when I think about um, Moments in my life that felt painful in the moment, but when I step back and I I look uh, in retrospect, I realize they really weren't that painful, but they felt painful in the moment. I think about uh, this moment about 12 years ago. My wife and I, and we only had two kids at the time, but we we were driving and our car broke down, blew a head gasket. We had to pull off to the side of the road on the highway, and I waited three hours for a tow truck driver to come. You might think, well, that's not really that bad, Dan. You know, that happens in life. No, listen, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I missed the whole game except for the last five minutes. My team was in the game, and I got to see the last five minutes and got to watch them lose. So it was, um, it was a painful, painful moment, and yet it really wasn't that painful, right? Um, uh, in our culture today, kind of even, even mocks our, our pain aversion. If you ever seen that, there's this meme uh, running around the internet that goes like this. It says, "During labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what it feels like when a man has a fever." Right? <laughs> I, I told my, I showed my wife that one. She did not think it was that funny. Uh, but uh, humorous, but true. As Americans, we have a problem. With the concept of pain, with the concept of suffering. And uh, on a deeper level, we live in a culture and a society that kind of has this idea that, that the goal of life is pleasure, that the goal of life is happiness. And if the goal of life is pleasure, and if the goal of life is happiness, then what do, what do we do with pain? What do we do with suffering? What do we do with adversity? How do we make sense of the struggle? And even if, if you are here and you're, you're a Christ follower, we have, we have trouble with this idea of pain because uh, in our hearts and our minds, we feel like if, if I'm obeying God, if I'm trying to follow God, if I'm trying to be a good person, if I'm trying to do what's right, right, then shouldn't my life be better? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I not have to go through some of these difficult things? Does, does pain then diminish the goodness of God in my life? Does pain negate his existence? What is the value of and what is the purpose of pain in the world? Now, this isn't an easy question, and my hope this morning is not to trivialize pain, uh, because I, my guess is that many of you here today have gone through some excruciatingly painful moments in your life. Maybe you're here and you've, you've experienced the loss of a loved one. Maybe you've gone through a sickness like cancer or a battle with mental illness, Maybe you've experienced the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship, maybe a divorce. Maybe you have a strained relationship with a child or a strained relationship with a parent or family member, or maybe just the inability to have children. The list could go on, all of these different ways that we experience pain personally Right, but then there's pain that exists outside of us. Right, There's pain in general that's not just in our lives but in the world around us. We live in a world that's full of pain. We live in a world that has political unrest and war, uh, poverty and starvation, human trafficking and slavery, child uh, exploitation and child abuse. The list can go on. And then, of course, there's just the pain that that we experience just from the adversities of life, right? The struggles that we just go through just to try to make it through the day. Some of us, it's just an accomplishment to finish the day when we say, hey, we've fed our family and we've gotten through the day uh, alive. It's the general struggles of life. And so without going into a a full theology of pain and suffering today, I think we can look at pain uh, in two different categories in our lives, right? I think there's, there's pain that is the result of the brokenness of our world, right? There's pain that's a result of just, it's the consequences of sin. There's a corruption in our world as a consequence of sin, and there's pain that happens as a result of that. But scripture also tells us that there, tells us that there, is, there is pain that is, that is God-allowed or God-permitted or even God-initiated, that God uses that pain and that adversity in our lives to discipline us and to work out God's good outcome in our lives. So it's two kind of basic categories of pain. But see, here's the truth. When it comes to pain, when we're in pain, a lot of times we don't have time to differentiate the difference between what kind of pain we're experiencing. Right? When we're in pain, we're not thinking, oh, is this pain that's coming from the natural consequences of sin? Or is this pain that's happening because God has disciplined me in my life? We're just like, no, ouch. I don't want to experience this. But here's the truth. Both types of pain, regardless of the origin, if we have the proper perspective, have the power to point us in a greater way to the person of Jesus Christ. Both types of pain. That's why the author of Hebrews actually tells us, he says, says, endure hardship as discipline. He says, "Look, look at the pain and the adversity that you experience in your life, no matter what it is. View it as discipline. View it as a way that God is working in your life. Now, that's easy to say, but I think it's really hard to do. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about learning from adversity, and I think it's important for us to assess our posture towards suffering, towards pain, towards adversity, because I believe that adversity has the capacity to either drive us toward a greater love and affection and dependence on God, or it has the capacity to make us bitter and hard-hearted. And I think we've all met people in both categories. How you approach suffering either makes you more wise or more foolish. So listen to, what, listen to what our key text says here in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. He says this, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child. In whom he delights. What's he saying here? He's saying that God uses adversity in our lives as divine discipline. Now, we don't like this, right? We don't want to hear this. This is not, thanks, Dave, for letting me preach this message today. I appreciate it. I know he just wanted to avoid this subject, so I appreciate it. We don't like this because we think that if, if I'm trying to follow God and if I'm trying to do what's right and if I'm trying to be a better per- person, then I should not be ex- as experiencing as much pain as I am. Tim Keller actually says, though, he says, the mark of wisdom is to be ready for suffering. So the mark of wisdom is not, is not to avoid suffering, is not to discount it, is not to work our way around it, but it's to be ready for suffering, and so if it's wisdom to be ready for suffering, then how should we look at adversity in our lives? And so this morning, I want to look at four uh, four quick thoughts here, four helpful ways for us to look at adversity. First thought I have for you is this: adversity reveals, adversity reveals, adversity exposes. You know the strength of something is exposed when it faces its strongest adversity? You wanna know how well a house is built? Wait until hurricane season, right? Then you will know how well that house is built. The strength of something is exposed when it faces its strongest adversity. Uh, Back in 2011, my wife and I, we moved to uh, Niagara Falls, New York. We bought our very first home And uh, for the first time in our married life, we had a dining room. And uh, we never had a dining room before, so we never had a dining room table. So we said, we got to find a dining room table. So I went out on Craigslist, and I found a dining room table. It was in like-new condition. If this table was brand new in the store, it would probably be worth $2,000. I found it for only $500, and it was a little more than I wanted to pay, but I was like, you know what? It is worth it. This is a family heirloom piece. This is our dining room table. We're going to have our meals here. We're going to enjoy this table for the next 25, 30 years. This will be passed down from generation to generation. To generation, my kids have broken this table in half three times. <laughs> right now, it sits in our dining room, and it has a bow in it like this. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it to happen again. Right, the strength of something is exposed when it faces its strongest adversity. Uh, adversity shows what's really inside of us. Uh, adversity reveals strength, it reveals weakness, but it also reveals character. James Lane Allen famously says this. He says, adversity does not build character, it reveals it. Adversity reveals strength, and it reveals character. Um, this picture we're gonna show you here is of my daughter. Uh, this is truly, she's our seventh child. She's two years old, and uh, uh, I know, right? Isn't she beautiful? Uh, she is super sweet, she's super friendly, uh, she'll sit on my lap and talk to me, uh, and we read books together, and we sing songs together, and she hugs me, and she snuggles with me, and she's just the sweetest girl, she's the, like the best daughter you could ever have, like she's just wow, she's awesome, gift from God. And every day when I come home, you know, she runs to see me, Daddy, you're here. And she runs and gives me a hug. And and so the other day, just just this last week, I came home, and instead of getting my usual run-up hug from her, I hear her. I walk home in the middle of a tantrum, and she is kicking And she is screaming and she, her eyes are bloodshot and she's like, it looks as if she's possessed, you know? And she's throwing things at my wife and she is just angry and she's mad and she's, and I'm thinking to myself, oh no, what has happened to my precious little girl? Like what, did she fall down the stairs? Did one of her brothers hit her? Did she get bitten? Like what happened to her? What made her so upset? And so I said to my wife, what's the matter with Truly? And she says, listen, she wanted to eat her jello in the living room, and I said no. <laughs> adversity reveals character, right? What it revealed in my daughter is actually what adversity reveals in a lot of us it reveals how addicted we are to control. In fact, there's nothing like adversity to show us how out of control we really are. Adversity reveals Character, But perhaps most importantly, God uses adversity to reveal who or what we trust. What we rely on in life's most difficult circumstances. Here's a great question to ask. What do I go to in moments of pain in my life? See, I think we all experience moments in our life where, where we're kind of rocked to the core Where something happens and it moves us off our equilibrium, it 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 moves us off center in our lives. And when that happens in our lives, when we experience that kind of adversity, what do we go to for comfort? What do we lean on in those moments? Is it food? Is it binge watching television? Is it, is it friends? Is it a substance? Is it alcohol? Is it pornography? Is it, is it isolation and sleep? What it, whatever it is that we go to for comfort in life's worst moments of adversity, that is what we are displaying. That's where our trust is. Adversity shows what we trust. It to show the world that we've got it all together. And it exposes us for who we really are. What we really trust. So adversity reveals. Secondly, we see that adversity reshapes. Adversity reshapes. One of, uh, One of my family's favorite uh, television shows that we watch together is a show on the History Channel, and uh, it's called Forged in Fire. Has anybody ever seen the show Forged in Fire? A few of you have seen it, right? Uh, I'm going to sound really nerdy when I say this, but this show is about metallurgy, okay? It is where contestants take different types of metal, and they melt it down in a forge, and then they form them into fully functional edged weapons, uh, my kids love this show so much I caught them reenacting it in the kitchen with the steak knives. I had to put an end to it. It was getting a little bit dangerous. Um, but what they do in this show is they, they they take these these pieces of metal and they heat them up in a forge uh, oven that's that 's like fifteen hundred degrees temperature and they they get the, the, they get the the metal up to a certain heat and once it 's at a certain heat it 's at its maximum malleability, and then they pound it with a hammer and shape it into what they want to shape it into, and then they grind it down, and then it becomes this incredible weapon. And then, of course, they send it through all these tests and make sure that it can withstand all the different adversities that it's going to face. Some, uh, one of the episodes, I think one of the very first ones, they, they shot a bullet right at the blade to see if it would stand up. And just one tiny imperfection in the blade could lead to catastrophic failure, and the whole integrity of the blade is compromised. And I think this is really true of adversity, right? When I think about how these bladesmiths forge their blades in, in the fire, that God, God forges us through adversity. He forges us through adversity. And and the process of forging is, is amazing because it uses both heat and pounding, right? and sometimes when we're walking through adversity in our lives we feel like we're walking through a hot season in our lives right a, a season of difficulty in our lives and then we get punched in the middle of it but god uses adversity much the way that a bladesmith forms this blade god uses it to mold us to refine us to shape us to sharpen us to pound certain points of our life in the right place because he desires to shape us more and more into the character of Jesus Christ. Reshaping is part of adversity, but it's painful. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says on the same subject. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. He says, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living, for those who are trained in this way. You see, the truth is is that while adversity is meant to reshape us more and more into the character of Jesus Christ, how we respond to adversity determines what shape we take. How we respond determines what shape we take. Do you know that it's possible for adversity to derail your faith? Got quiet real quick. (laughs) It's possible for adversity to derail our faith if we don't receive it the right way. And so how do we, how do we keep our faith from being derailed? How do we do it? How do we walk through adversity and not, and not allow it to shape us into a person that is bitter and hard-hearted and closed off instead of allowing adversity to shape us into the person that God designed us to be? I think there's a lot of answers to this, but I think the the, the first and the most foremost thing that comes to my mind is that, first of all, we have to absolutely be convinced of the goodness and the character of God in our lives. We have to reassure ourselves with the good intentions of God in our lives. And how do we do that? I think this is really simple. I think we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, God did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all. And if this is who God is, Son from the type of God that we serve, that he would not even hold back his only Son from us, then can we not trust him when he takes us through seasons of adversity and pain in our lives? Christ endured the pain, the disgrace, and the excruciating suffering of the cross so that you and I could come unhindered, and uninhibited to God the Father. And so if I'm going to allow adversity to reshape me in the way that God desires and not derail my faith, I have to be convinced of the good character of God, and I do this by looking at Jesus. I do this by looking at Jesus. Which brings me to our next thought, and that is this, is that adversity reorients. Adversity reorients. See, the whole point of discipline is more than just reshaping. If all I said to you today was discipline is meant to reshape you, I would, I would be failing you. Discipline is so much more than reshaping. It's so much more than saying, uh, let's, let's fix some of these behaviors in your life that are destructive. Behavior modification is certainly an outcome of discipline, but it's not the point of it. And this is, this is what we have to really understand because a lot of times in Christian circles, we, we, we can't see the difference between Christian discipline and legalism and self-justification. There's a huge difference. Legalism and self-justification says the problem is my behavior. But discipline says the problem is the deepest desires of my heart. And so the whole point of discipline is not a change of behavior It's a change of desire. Because here's the truth. What you believe matters, but what you love matters more. What you believe matters, but what you love matters more. And ultimately, if you want to change your behaviors, because behaviors can be really destructive, right? And we want to change those behaviors. We don't need to change what we believe. We need to change what we love. And here's the truth. Information has the power to change what we believe, but discipline worked out in our lives is meant to change what we love. If information was all we needed to change our world, then our world would have been perfect a long time ago. When I was in high school, um, we had to watch this documentary. It's this award-winning documentary. Some of you probably have heard of it. It's called Super Size Me. Has anybody ever seen the Super Size Me documentary? Right, for those of you not familiar with it, Supersize Size Me was a documentary film where this guy went into McDonald's and he ate McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day for 30 days. And he just, uh, he exposes all of these health risks associated with McDonald's, all the disgusting things and uh, how much weight he gained and all the different things, all the health hazards he was exposed to. And you finish watching that documentary feeling, ugh. <laughs> I finished that, watching that documentary and I said to myself, I will never eat at McDonald's again. I have eaten there hundreds of times since then. (laughs) Why? Because information is not enough to change our lives. Information might change what we believe. It might change how we think, but it certainly doesn't change what we love. The whole point of discipline is not to change how we behave or even to change how we think. It's to change what we love. And this is is a helpful way to think about discipline, whether it's discipline that is God-initiated through adversity in our lives, or if it's discipline that we are imposing in our lives to try to create some sort of spiritual formation in us. The whole point of discipline is desire change. It's to change what we love. It's to put ourselves in a position where we reorient the primal loves of our heart towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so adversity reveals, it reshapes, it reorients, and finally, we see that adversity reassures. You might hear that point and think to yourself, that doesn't make sense. How, how is adversity reassuring? In fact, typically, our reaction is the opposite of anything reassuring. It's not assuring. It makes us feel unstable and insecure, The author of Proverbs here, he says, listen, he says, don't lose heart. Don't reject adversity. Don't be upset when you experience adversity and discipline. Why? Because the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. After quoting this exact scripture, in fact, Hebrews chapter 12 is a great uh, extension to this passage if you want to study that a little bit more. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven, he says this. He says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is not, never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, It means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. What's he saying? He's saying that adversity, purposed as discipline, is actually a confirmation of your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's it's one of the ways that God says, listen, I love you. I love you so much, I'm not gonna leave you where you are. I love you so much, I'm gonna do the hard work that it takes in your life to help reshape and reorient and reform you and reveal what needs to be revealed in you so that you can become all that I designed you and all that I created you to be. It's, it's a confirmation of love. And sometimes we think, you know, if God really loved us, he'd just give us whatever we want, but we know that's not true, Right? Have you ever been on an airplane and uh, there's always that one mother that walks in with a screaming child, right? <laughs> screaming spoiled child, and they're like, ah, "I'm mad! I have to be on a plane!" and they're just mad. And you can hear the mother, "Oh, sweetie, would you like some Cheerios?" No. Throws it back at the mom. <laughs> oh, sweetie, uh, uh, would you like your would you like your milk? No. Throws it back. Would you like to play a game on the iPad? No. she Just threw an iPad. Everybody else around them is not thinking, oh, what a wonderful parent. Oh, I I just wish that parent would figure out what that child wants because that's what good parenting is: that you give your children everything they want. Now everybody's thinking, oh, I wish, I wish that parent loved their child enough to say no to them once in a while. Because then when they say no now, they'd be okay. The, the function of discipline in our lives reassures us that God loves us. It's a confirmation of his love and of our identity in Jesus Christ. It's a confirmation that God cares about us enough that he wants us to be all that he designed us to be. It's it's an indication, it's not an indication of God's anger or his wrath because you see the wrath of God is reserved for the enemies of God, but the discipline of God is reserved for sons and daughters of God. It's a confirmation of our identity. And so when we experience adversity, it should reassure our hearts of the love God has for us. And here's here's what's even more significant. Scripture tells us that adversity, that suffering, is actually an opportunity for us to identify with the suffering of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, this is what Paul says. He says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. He says, You're not slaves. Don't be afraid. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Awesome. I wish we could just stop right there. That would be great. But then he says this. He says, but if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. We must also share in his suffering. And that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound exciting, but here's what Paul says. He says, listen, but that's not the end of the story. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. It's nothing. So when we receive suffering, when we receive adversity as, as God's divine discipline in our lives to work out his redemptive purposes in us, we become partners with Christ in his suffering. And our suffering actually can contribute to the redemptive work of God, not only in our lives, but in our world. And it becomes a mechanism by which no other way you could do it, it becomes a mechanism by which you can give God glory in a way that you never could if you didn't walk through adversity. And here's the hope we have. It's not the end. There's coming a day when all the sad things will become untrue. There's coming a day when he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. There's going to come a day when the glory that he reveals in us will so far outweigh what we're walking through right now. So how should we respond? How should we respond to the adversity we walk through in our lives? I think... If you were to ask just any, any person off the street today, say, what, what, what would you do when you, when you face adversity? They might say, well, the question I would ask myself is, how do I overcome this, right? And that's what successful people say, right? That's what successful people talk about. They'll say, uh, well, much of the success I achieved in my life is because I walked through adversity and because I overcame adversity. And we're not unfamiliar with that concept, right? Adversity can breed success in people. But for the Christ follower, that's not the question we have to ask. The question is not, how do I overcome adversity? Because the author actually says, don't reject it. Don't get upset. Don't push it away. Don't try to work your way around it. So our question for the Christ follower is not, how do we overcome adversity? But the question is, how do I welcome adversity in my life as a way to reorient the deepest desires of my heart as a way to reshape the trust that I have built on the person and work of Jesus Christ in a greater way. And re- How do I reaffirm and reacknowledge my trust in God as the only source in my life of strength? How do I rest... In the good intentions of God towards me as his child, when I look at Jesus and I see that what he has done for me, he has led the way and he is the one that I look to. And I say, God, if you were willing to send Jesus to the cross, then I know that your purposes in me are good and true. And how do I receive this as an opportunity, this adversity as an opportunity to reorient the greatest uh, the deepest desires of my heart towards God in a greater way. And here's, this is even, this is probably the hardest question for us to ask when we walk through adversity is just to say, God, how do I give you glory in this? How do I give you glory in this? I'm gonna close this morning um, with a poem. It's, uh, it's a, one that's very meaningful to me and uh, for me, it, it's one of the best ways to make sense of adversity and pain in our lives and it's called The Thorn and it's written by Martha Snell Nicholson and it goes like this. She says, I stood a mendicant or a beggar of God before his royal throne and I asked him for one priceless gift which I could call my own. I took the gift out from his hand but as I would depart, I said, but Lord, This is a thorn, and it has pierced my heart. This is a strange and hurtful gift, which thou hast given me. But he said, my child, I give good gifts, and I gave my best to thee. I took it home, and though at first that cruel thorn hurt sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. Would you pray with me?